How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensey. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going pretty good. And for your information, it was above zero today. So Really? What are you guys at today, Tim? One. One degree. Wow. It was actually, funny enough, it was one degree here today as well, man. Maybe it's Tropical Duncan you should be talking about. Ooh, I don't know about that. Well, maybe we'll have to find out, though. <laughs> so, you know, Tim, ever since we started this podcast back in 2017, we've had the privilege to chat with some really great people whom we've got a chance to either chat with online or just by being a fan of their work. Tonight, we get to cross up another name from our interview wish list, and this is also the biggest interview we've gotten to have as we finally get to chat with somebody within the Ottawa Senators organization. Our guest tonight plays an integral role with the Ottawa Senators despite not wearing a jersey, being behind the bench, or working in the front office. Instead, he has the all-important role working in the DJ booth over center ice at the Canadian Tire Centre. Beginning DJing hockey games with the U Ottawa GGs before joining the Ontario Hockey League's Ottawa 67s in 1999, where he would DJ for six seasons before officially joining the Ottawa Senators in 2005, with whom he continues to DJ with to this very day. Since beginning his DJ career, he has had the privilege to work such memorable games as Game 3 of the 2007 Stanley Cup Finals, Game 6 of the 2017 Eastern Conference Finals, the Daniel Alfredson Jersey Retirement Night, and the NHL 100 Classic at his own stopping grounds of Lansdowne. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, joining us from Gatineau, Quebec, the city that is home to a junior team that was once owned by the great one, our guest, the DJ for your Ottawa Senators, Alex Marchand. Alex, how's it going, man? Welcome to the show. Good evening, guys. How's it going? It's going pretty good, buddy. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks. So, Alex, man, we, we, you know, we're really excited to have you on the show, not only because you're one of the big names that we've had on our interview wish list, but also you're the first person within the SENS organization we get to talk to you on the show. I don't think, I don't know if I should take that as a compliment or, if, <laughs> or, or, or what, but I do appreciate being on the show today. Absolutely, man. So, you know, Alex, there's so many questions that we could have asked you for this interview, and I guess the best way to start is at the beginning. So, take us back to the beginning. How did you get into DJing? Did you have a passion for music, which led into wanting to be a DJ, or was there somebody that inspired you to become one? How did that all come about? Well, as, as a kid, I actually never played uh, organized hockey at all, honestly. However, my brother sure did. My younger brother, who's uh, uh, five years younger than I, and what happened was that I remember when he was in novice hockey a long time ago, he was actually playing in a tournament. And this tournament was a well-organized tournament. They, you know, they had lighting and DJs for the tournament for all the games, and it was great. The only problem was the novice kids who had the earliest time slot at 7 a.m., and sometimes even earlier, wouldn't get that amazing experience that the rest of the games would because the DJ wouldn't want to come in that early. So those poor kids, you know, at the time, you know, four, five, six years old, didn't get that opportunity. So (laughs) me, and I can't remember exactly how old I was, I think it was maybe 11 or 12. 
I just literally walked up to the organizer of the tournament and said, hey, I don't think it's fair that these young kids shouldn't have the same experience as everyone else. Can I, you know, jump in there? I know music. I know what people seem to like. And the guy was just like, yeah, no problem. Just jump in there, which shocked the crap out of me, honestly. But, you know, he let a 12-year-old kid just run the music for this tournament. And that's how I got started, honestly. I just really felt bad for some young kids who got to see, you know, older kids get this professional-style treatment, and they didn't get the benefits. So I actually took over for those early morning shifts for quite some time, and that's how I actually got involved. Crazy. Now, do you recall what kind of music you were playing for the novice kids when you first started? Oh, my God. So this is when was in the early and mid-90s. So, you know, you, you, you'd you have your, your your amazing Jock Jam CDs that were available back then, your uh, your dance mix from Much Music back then, that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, and, and that's the kind of stuff I would play back then. Again, no experience doing this in any way, shape, or form. I was kind of just winging it, you know, playing stuff that I knew was somewhat popular at the time based on, you know, what I, I saw as you know, what my friends had as CDs and also what I had and, and what at the time much music was playing as music videos. Uh, so, cause you know, they used to play music videos <laughs> way before the internet. So, so that, that's how I got started. Uh, and then after that, honestly, I just kind of moved on to, uh, to, to actually just being a rink rat DJing almost every game for this Ottawa uh, minor hockey association and somehow my name got thrown to the University of Ottawa, who were looking to replace their music person at the time. And that, that's how I really got everything rolling. They just kind of picked me up and let me go. And, you know, back then I, I wasn't getting paid. I didn't know what I was really aiming to do back then. I was just having, you know, fun while, you know, my brother was playing hockey. And then, you know, I just kept kept rolling with it. That's great to hear, man. So like we said, off the top, you began DJing or I guess professionally DJing hockey games with the U Ottawa GGs. Now, given that you were DJing their games, I was under the assumption that you had attended the University of Ottawa. However, in preparation for tonight, you did mention to me that wasn't the case. And I guess you already kind of already answered that, but I'll ask anyway. Given that you weren't a student of the university, how did you come about becoming the DJ of the GGs? Yeah, so because I was basically at at the time the GGs didn't have their sports complex built. They were playing out of Sandy Hill Arena, uh, in downtown in, uh, in Sandy Hill in Ottawa. The league president that I was part of actually just gave my name to a colleague of his that worked for the sports department at Auto U. Uh, they approached me, and, and then after that, you know, I just kept that going for uh, I think as I remember three full seasons. Crazy man. Now, when you were working with the GGs, were you working with the same sort of using CDs or did the university say, here's a set list of what we kind of want you to play? Or did they let you take the ball and run with that? Uh, Back then. So, yeah, I had a crate of CDs. I had a friend of mine who was also giving me a hand and I would literally crate in like boxes and boxes of CDs and and things like that. Back then, you know, you didn't have. Uh, access to single tracks like we we have today so you know you liked one or two songs and you want to play them you had to buy the whole cd from an artist or at least you'd have to buy kind of mixed cds uh that were pre-prepared and and also what i the internet was starting to kind of roll out and things like napster and limewire were around so i actually started hauling my massive desktop computer and 
CRT monitor to the rink. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm not kidding. And, and I would actually play music off back then. Uh, I was playing like playlists and songs off Winamp. And I had also a little portable tape deck. And for the goal songs, I had pre-recorded uh, on, a, on a cassette tape the goal horn followed by their goal song. And every time they would score, I would rewind the tape, cue it up with a pencil because, you know, that's how things were done back then. And that's how I would actually like have certain things queued up right to the moment. Well, that's crazy, man. That's we, we've come a long way. Oh, absolutely. I even know that, and you're talking about mix CDs. Like I remember as a probably 11, 12 years old, and this is probably 2003, 2004, when I finally got access to, like you're saying, LimeWire or Napster, and I would get like the CD burning programs. And I know Tim could probably vouch for this. Like back in the day, I had two big binders full of CDs. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I had two or three binders full, completely full. Yeah. Just burnt stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, did burnt they, stuff. Oh, you were using burnt, burnt stuff or? So in the early days, like I, 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 most of the stuff I had was purchased. I owned m- all the music and all the CDs. Um, I didn't. We didn't get a home computer for quite some time at my house, so uh, it took me quite some time to actually start getting burnt songs. But a friend of mine who, you know, he's had a, had a personal computer for a long time. I would often send him lists of songs I'd like, and he would burn me CDs. You know, back then, mm-hmm. no questions asked. You know, about the legalities of things. There wasn't. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't part of the conversation back then. So he, I would send him lists. He would just send me back a CD and. You know, and I would play those songs during games and, uh, you know, but back then, you know, uh, legalities and, uh, you know, downloading of music like that, 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 that wasn't being part of the conversation. No one knew there was, it was all, it was all new. So yeah. yeah, that's, that's how I got things rolling, which helped me condense the amount of CDs I hauled to the rink every, uh, every game. Man, I can only imagine the amount of CDs that you were bringing over to the rank for those games. Oh, it was crazy. No, I actually one thing I didn't ask was how many years did you work for the GGs? Alex? Uh, as I remember, and things tend to be a blur back then for me. Uh, it was probably three seasons. Uh, I was able to be part of the year they opened up their sports complex uh, and the double pad down there, uh, and that was that was fun. Uh, I was able to, you know, not only be DJ before I left, but uh, I was also in charge of uh, game day for like ensuring that staff got paid and. And, you know, we had uh, somebody scheduled for all the positions. And that was not only for the men's team, but the newly formed women's team as well for one season, which, you know, tend to cause a a very interesting conflict. Sometimes when they were playing both at the same time, we'd have to split our resources. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after those three seasons of working with the GGs, you moved over from the University of Ottawa to the Ottawa 67s. So talk Correct. to us a little bit about how that came about. Did somebody recommend you to the 67s for the job, or did the team reach out to you to become their DJ? Honest, honestly, it's it, my, my whole career has been part of a right place, right time scenario. My cousin, Mike Ross, who today is the public address announcer of the Toronto Maple Leafs, was on Ottawa Radio. And he had auditioned in 1998 when Jeff Hunt took over the 67s to be the PA announcer. Originally, he didn't get the job. And the, their PA announcer eventually departed, and he actually jumped in. And at the same time, the 67s DJ was there, as I remember. And again, that's a little vague. 
had to leave because he was going on to do uh, out-of-province training for a career uh, path that he was on. So my cousin told the director of game presentation at the time, Glenn Gower, who today is city councillor for Stittsville here in Ottawa, that you know my cousin's the DJ for the GGs, he would be able to slide right in and take over no problem. So I was literally brought in on, on a whim, just on a recommendation like that. And, you know, one thing led to the next. And for that first year, I was kind of their backup. So that Memorial Cup year, I was their backup uh, DJ when they won it back in, uh, back in, uh, geez, what was it, 1999, I believe. Nine, yeah. And then after that, from 99 on, I was the main guy. And I did that for six, uh, six seasons over there. And, and, you know, those were great years. Those were amazing years. The six sevens back then were, uh, you know, they were, they were on a dynasty run. They were, we made the finals, I think, three or four times out of the six years I was there. Memorial Cup twice. It was, you know, it was good times. It was, it was a lot of fun. I have fond memories of that. That's awesome. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but was this around the time that Daniel Alfredson's brother was playing for the 67s? I don't believe so, no. Okay. Okay, because no, I, 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 I thought he was maybe with the the 99 Memorial Cup winning team or just before that. But I knew that it was around that time frame that I played for him. I, I, I wish I could remember. I know he didn't play very long with the 67s. But for me, I do not remember him during my tenure there. But I, I could be mistaken. Okay. Uh, just out of curiosity, what, um, just name some players that you may have remembered from the 67s during that time. Oh, there was uh, you know, players like Zenon Knopka, Lance Galbraith, Corey Locke, Matt Foy, uh, you know, just to name a few of the players that were there. Those guys were, were just outstanding player. You know, a lot of them didn't move on to anything. Uh, Zenon Knopka did end up actually playing for the Sens for a while. And that was kind of cool. But yeah, those were some of the players, you know, that, that were around back in those days. You know, uh, I don't know if many of them actually had a long career in playing in the NHL. Some players did. Jason Spezza was playing for Windsor and Mississauga while I was DJing for the Six Sevens back in the day. Um, so that uh, that's, you know, one of the notable players I do remember from back then. Okay, but so for someone like Jason Spezza, you could have told the talent was there oh absolutely you could tell just by being a swatch night kid but just being around him uh, i remember i i actually do remember one day i was down uh downstairs uh, and I, I i remember seeing a young jason spezza you know a teenage kid just getting ready and you could tell there was something different about him and then the other players that are around him you know it's it's hard to explain what it was but you could tell that this kid was going somewhere. It could also be all the hype of, around him that was there at the time. But, you know, you could tell that he was leaps and bounds different than a lot of the other players around him. Oh, for sure. Because I know that we have a friend of the show who was at the Prospects game. I can't remember if it was in Niagara or in London or wherever. And he saw Thomas Shabbat and Connor McDavid in the same game. And he just sent me that photo a couple of months ago. And I was just like, Man, like that's incredible that you know, someone like Thomas Shabbat and Connor McDavid were together. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So after six seasons with the 67s, you finally got the call to join the Sens as their DG at the then named Corel Center. So talk to us a little bit about joining the Sens and how that came about. And what was it like for you joining a team as they were just coming out of that lockout? Heavy favorites to win the cup. The city was red hot for them. And 
the city was, you know, they were crazy for the sense. So just talk to us a little bit about how that was like for you coming into that situation. So, so again, it, like I said earlier, it's always been right place, right time situation as we were probably in the mid of our, my sixth season there in 2004, 2005, my boss, Glenn, announced to me before a game that uh, once the NHL lockout would come to an end, whenever that would happen, he would be moving on to the Sens and had been hired as their new uh, director of game presentation there. My, my, my first immediate reaction was my heart sank. I couldn't believe that I was going to lose my boss who had, you know, basically taught me everything that I, that I knew, but that, that quickly turned around to him looking at me and saying, do you want to come along? And, and, and I don't know exactly how to explain it, but that was probably the greatest uh, day uh, of my life. I remember, you know, obviously accepting. And then after that, taking a walk with my cell phone and calling both my parents, just like freaking out, going, I'm going to be the DJ for the Sens. Man, that's crazy. I couldn't even imagine coming into a situation like that. Like I said, the city was red hot for them. The team oh, it was, was yeah. crazy good. And... Man, I mean, I couldn't even imagine coming into a situation like that where you knew the fans are going to be into it every single game. And, you know, like I said, I, I couldn't even imagine what would that Yeah, it, listen, it was, uh, it, was, it was quite an experience. Very nerve-wracking experience as well. You know, I, I knew a lot of the guys at the Sens. I had had the opportunity of DJing at, uh, at the time, the Corral Center, a couple of times. The 6-7s tend to play. They used to play a lot of one-off playoff games at the uh, Corral Center at the time because they were often bumped out of the Civic Center because at the time, way before the EY Center, uh, the Ottawa Home Show was always there uh, in, in the spring. So they would tend to have every few years a game where they were bumped out of the Civic Center. So lucky for me, I actually got to make some contacts over there. So that first time I, I came in at the Corral Center, you know, I, I didn't feel out of place. I knew a lot of the people. Plus, you know, luckily for me, my boss on the six sevens for years was there. So that made uh, that adjustment period very comfortable for me. But I, I won't lie. I was nervous. I was nervous. I was you know, stressed about how I was going to do, you know, it's, it's one thing for DJing in front of seven to 9,000 people, because back then the six sevens were also red hot and had one of the greatest attendance in the Canadian hockey league, but moving from, you know, from seven, eight, 9,000 to 18,000, that's, that's quite a difference. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I can, I can only oh. imagine, right. You know, you, like you're saying, you go from 7,000 people to 18, like that's such a big yeah. It's massive. It's massive. And, you know, uh, there were moments where I did not know if I would be up for the challenge. You know, I, I, I know I knew that I had a much and me and my boss, Glenn, as well. We had a much different idea of the kind of music to play at hockey games than the predecessors that I took over from over there. Sense games in the early 2000s and prior, you know, they, they, they played a lot of hard rock. That's the kind of music they played uh, at the games. They played a lot of hard rock. Sometimes uh, it was like even, you know, B-side stuff of, uh, of, of some artists that weren't very, uh, you know, the popular artists, but weren't as well-known tracks. So I, I came in there and it moved on to a bit more of a popular music culture. Uh, and I know it wasn't, it was a little bit different form and some people didn't like it at the time. But, you know, it, it was different. 
but at the same time, I thought it was important for for a, a change in in the dynamic that was going on there. Uh, the team had just come out of the vol, you know, full year lockout, and I think you know, and it's hard for me to to to, to talk to that, but I think that they were just looking to 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 change up uh, how things felt over there. So when it comes mm-hmm. to game day set lists, how do you go about putting one together? Now, outside of the songs that are staples that sends games, like Song 2 by Blur, for example, do yeah. you usually have a good idea of what you want to play, or do you play it by ear and get a feel for what kind of crowd is at the game once it starts? Um, I have always been on the latter side of your statement. I don't tend to prepare a set list too much in advance. Uh, sometimes I have ideas of certain songs I'm going to want to play, but I tend to go into the games cold. And I want to get a feel of how the game is going to go, how things are going to develop. So it, uh, my, my playlists are always based on also, the best way I can describe it is that I am given freedom to play what I want, but I am still within a confined structure of what we are asked to play. For example, if they want, like this year, they've decided that they want to take a younger approach to the music, more, you know, top 40 dance, EDM, hip-hop feel, I will play music freely of what I like to play at the games and I think will work, but keeping within the confines of what I've been asked to do. You know, in the past, it was, you know, there were seasons where I was asked to play more classic rock music, things like that. So again, I had freedom to play pretty much what I wanted within the confines of what I'm, you know, being directed to do. Okay, so saying that you go in cold for games, so I would yeah. imagine that maybe your approach to putting a set list together wouldn't change, say, if it's a midweek game, they're playing, say, the Panthers or the Coyotes where the energy maybe isn't there to a bigger game, like a Battle of Ontario or a Saturday night game versus Montreal. You know. Oh, oh, oh no, there are some differences. There are some differences, you know. I'll always try to do it a certain way, but if you know, like I remember going into certain you know, games against Toronto and, you know, or like just high intensity games. And and I would still set the tone. You know, I remember going in there and, you know, dropping some rage against the machine right off the bat for the first whistle as the game starts, you know, like just just full on aggressive music to set the tone, you know, like which would maybe not be what I would usually play. But because the intensity of that game, I, I go that way. But, but it's not always easy, you know, like sometimes, you know, a Saturday night, Thursday nights, we're, we're trying to keep it, you know, we're trying to keep the fans entertained. We're trying to keep them, you know, dancing and, you know, energized and, and out there and enjoying themselves. But it's not always easy, depending on what's happening on the ice. Okay. Okay, yeah, because I just wanted to know, just because you were saying that you generally go into games cold, that's why I wanted to ask if your approach had been changed. Given on these things sometimes do change, but no, I, I tend to I go I tend to go in most games just very cold and and just get a sense of how the game is gonna go. Depending on usually the first few whistles will really give you an idea of what kind of game, what kind of fans you're gonna have. Okay. I guess the next question I kinda wanna rip off here is how does something become a, like a staple song that appears game after game? Things like a song two by blur or tidal wave around penalties power plays. Does it come from things that you've played before and you see fans like? Do the players ask you for stuff? How does that work? Um, so, you know, I'm not going to lie very much. There's not very too many 
deep staple songs uh, for, for in, in Ottawa. There's quite a few songs that people recognize with the sense that I tend to, to throw in. One thing I do remember people saying is that one of the songs that they did really enjoy was Song 2 by Blur because of the positive feel that they have towards that song because of you know, the memories it brings back from the Sens and when they were, uh, you know, finishing in the top of the conference every year, year after year and going on those amazing playoff runs. So that that's why that song has, in my opinion, stood the test of time. And I'm not going to lie, that song comes on the radio in my car and I still get jacked for it. I don't know why I love that song. And and that's that's I think that's why that song sticks around to this day. I think a lot of people... A lot of people just associate it with so much positivity around the mm-hmm. team that they, they just keep it around. Yeah, it makes sense. I uh, guess but, you can really staple something top down. Yeah, and like I said, you know, there, there are certain songs that, you know, that sometimes you, you just have to throw in once in a while, you know. You know, there's a lot of classics that, you know, people like to hear. And depending on the night, you know, I'll, I'll throw it in sometimes, you know, like people absolutely love to sing to sweet caroline again they they just absolutely love it they go bonkers for that stuff you know they react to that kind of music so you know there's a lot of songs that are staples just around the league at at hockey games but i think it's important not to get into a pattern of just playing the same safe music that's being played for for the last 20 30 years at, at hockey rinks you know a lot of people call those like arena classics and yeah they have their place and and we should you know once in a while throw them in because you know people you know associate you know nice memories to a lot of the songs you know uh that they hear but at the same time you don't want to get to the point of repetition where that's all you play and and this year i have really tried very hard to maybe again it, it won't be with everyone being unanimous with this decision but playing a lot more current music, you know, for years I had been asked to play rap and hip hop at games and we, we, I won't lie, we held out for a very long time, but eventually you have to face the facts, the demographic of the people you want to, to go after and you want to enjoy the games and you want to come back to the games in the future are, you know, and they're, they're in their 20s and that's the kind of music they're listening to now. And that's what I, uh, through my, you know, through my management team, have advised me that we should try to play more currently popular music. Okay, is this more why that the Suns have now brought in DJ Prosper as well? Because they want to attract a younger audience? DJ Prosper is an amazing addition to the organization and to our game day operation. Uh, He is not only a great DJ and a great hype hype man, he's just a down-to-earth great guy. And and his love for what he does is second to none. He comes in and every night he's giving his 110% to the crowd. He wants to get people up, moving, and dancing. He is one of the greatest hype guys I have ever seen live. He is just able to get you know, people who are sitting there, and maybe it's not the most interesting game on the ice that day, but he somehow is able to flick that switch and just try to get people going, and I think he succeeds most of the time. Bringing him in has been great. I think it's a great addition to to, to our game ops and our game day operation. 
and I, and I think it's something that uh, a lot of teams out there should consider doing as well. I think it's great to have somebody out there hyping the crowd when, uh, you know, between periods and trying to get the, the energy back up in the building, especially when the periods have been great. Mm-hmm. For sure. Now, given that we were talking about your time working with the Ottawa 67s, in December 2017, you got a, you got a chance to return to Lansdale with the Sens hosting the NHL 100 Classic versus Montreal at TD Place. Now, I was one of the lucky people that got to attend that game as I traveled 3,500 miles from Vancouver Island, and I got a chance to spend a few days in Ottawa for that weekend, including the Sens alumni game at Parliament Hill, and then I saw the 67s Gatineau Olympiad game at Lansdale the next day. Talk to me a little bit about what that experience was like for yourself, and also I want to get your take on Sens Twitter's humorous jabs at the supposed other DJ who works that game. Oh, yes. Uh, that that was honestly that was one of the greatest experiences uh, of my career. Uh, it's something I had wanted to do since these outdoor games started becoming uh, a reality. And, and the fact that you know it, it was at TD Place, uh, a place where I I knew and I I I had worked with a lot of people there. That that really did help. But again, that 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 environment was one of the greatest vibes I've ever. And, and it's kind of weird because usually I'm inside the building with the fans and I can hear them. There, I was locked in this booth with the windows closed. It was very cold, as you remember. It was hard for me to get a sense of what the crowd was like, but just visually looking down, I could tell that people were trying to stay warm and trying to just enjoy by dancing to pretty much anything I was playing. And and that's one of the rare games I, I actually did have. A pre-prepared set list with me because my objective knowing what the weather was going to be like was going to be to try to keep people up and dancing and moving because I knew that people were, were going to be very cold in that in that stadium oh it was yeah it was really cold and unfortunately because I'm from the west coast I've never really experienced a real Canadian winter given that here on Vancouver Island our winters are usually one degree maybe zero sometimes it's in like minus two minus three and so I figured, oh, yeah, a hoodie will keep me warm. And then once I got the game, it dropped to minus 31. And I'm sitting there going, this was a bad idea. Yeah, that, that seems like a very bad idea, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And that was with the wind blowing at me, too. I was like, oh, come on. Yeah, that that's that's that was probably very painful for you. Yeah, I, pers- I sat there and I'm thinking, I don't know how people in Ottawa live in this in the wintertime. It's it's painful. It's painful. I won't lie. Uh, the amount of snow and the amount of cold we get is uh, can be treacherous sometimes. But you know, uh, you know, it's it's it's. Let's be honest. Winter is the greatest six to eight months a year, guys. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm a bit tired of it this year. Yeah, me too. I'm not gonna lie. I just got back from Florida, guys. So uh, uh, th- let's be honest. That was very painful uh, for me to come back to this. <laughs> oh, I can imagine because I mean, what was it down in Florida in the what, mid twenties, uh, early twenties? Uh, yeah, so I was there for nine days, and most of the time was hundred percent sun and twenty five to thirty. <laughs> yeah, so uh, coming back to minus sixteen was painful. Oh man, I can only imagine too. That yeah. must be insane. Yeah. So yeah, but uh, so that 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 order game again, like I said, I, it was one of the rare games I had came uh, pre-prepared uh, with a certain set list, uh, a lot more uh, songs. Again, not songs out of the ordinary that I usually play at Sense games at the time, but just a bit more concentrated towards songs with a bit more movement. 
Um, and, and, and you you bring up the fact that you know Twitter kind of poked fun at, at, at uh, a little bit at me since then. Uh, one guy ended up tweeting at me saying that I should take notes and that this DJ at the outdoor game is by far the greatest DJ that he's had at a hockey game. The only problem was, as you obviously all know, was that it was still me uh, <laughs> at the time. So so my notes were easy to uh, carry over to myself at the time. But I've always said, venues create the atmosphere. They're a big part of the game entertainment. And outdoor venues are completely different than indoor venues. Uh, you're not blocked in by you know four walls and a roof. So you have a sense of freedom when you're at these outdoor venues. You know, I've worked, I worked for the Outer Red Blacks for four years. I can tell the difference in that happens indoors and outdoors. And with, you know, even if it's summer or winter, people are, feel a bit more sense of freedom. The venue really adds to the environment uh, of the game and the fans get into it, you know fans have less fear of yelling and screaming at an outdoor venue than they would at an indoor venue, in my opinion, because, you know, you're not blocked in by four walls and a roof. So since that day, yeah, we, we jokingly, you know, say that, oh man, we wish that outdoor DJ was still here. Um, I, I take it in stride. I, I, I think it's the, one of the funniest things that's ever happened. Heck, I even created a pseudo Twitter account for it just you know, <laughs> to, to have some fun with it. You know, like it's, it, I, I thought it was great. I, I had, you know, I wasn't angry in any way at the fan who, who tweeted at me. Uh, I just wanted to make a point that because you feel the music is different at the time doesn't mean necessarily mean it's a different person. You know, I've been DJing for over 20 years and every few years I'm asked to change what the music sounds like at the games. I'm able to do that as a professional, you know, I'm able to, you know, say no problem. You want to take this direction. I'll play this kind of music. Like even to start this season, uh, as I said, this year, we kind of tailored our music to a bit of a younger demographic. And I got tweets from people. I saw tweets on, uh, on Sense Twitter saying that the new DJ was by far better than the old DJ. And I was like, it's still me. <laughs> why, why is it so hard to believe that the same person can actually play different music? So I've always found that very humorous, but I don't let it get to me. I never have, you know, uh, music, as I've always said, is very personal. There is a very strong personal and emotional connection to music and everyone's belief of what gets someone pumped up with certain music is different from another. And I can tell you, even the players defer when it comes to their music of choice that pumps them up. So I've never taken it personally. I never get upset at people who tell me to take notes on certain things because, again, it's everyone has their personal opinions, and that's totally okay. Because mm -hmm, that's always the what I've always taken from your interactions on Twitter about it is that you seem to take it all in stride. You seem to be in very good humor about it. Oh, absolutely. And I take it the same way. Like when I was at the game and I heard the music, I was thinking, well, this music's actually, uh, I don't want to say it a little more lively than usually at games, but, but yeah, then I watched like games afterwards. And I was thinking, nah, you know, music's good, but you know, I got to give the NHL 100 DJ credit for that one. That was pretty good. Choice or well, whatever. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll pass along the message, but I know he appreciates it. <laughs> no worries. 
So Alex, to close out this interview, we actually had somebody on Twitter send a question in. And Tim, I believe if we're not mistaken, I think we've had this person on the podcast and they claim to that you guys knew each other. So this one comes from at Pan of SCU. And he wants to know how much do you love the band Japan Droids? Well, the band Japan Droids is a great Canadian band. Uh, you know, they have great uh, tracks that are, have been played over the years. I think it's one of those great Canadian uh, stories. You know, I've always appreciated their, their music and playing it at games. I don't know if myself compared to Pan, I love them as much as he does. But, you know, for for a long time, we did have a good good fun with that band and one of their songs specifically where he would, uh, you know, tweet at me almost every game. Uh, and he was, he was convinced that that song was a game changer, a tide turner, <laughs> if you will. And I think at a certain point he was starting to take statistics down of the win loss record when that song was played and not, <laughs> you know, we had some great fun. Pan, honestly, uh, with all joking aside is a good friend of mine. You know, I've I, I I got to you know get to know him on Twitter, and then we became friends outside of Twitter. Uh, one of the you know one of the class guys around the, around Sense Twitter. Oh, very you know very passionate fan, uh, amazing guy, honestly. And you know, I, I had tons of fun interacting with him, especially when that song was. Uh, you know, he started sending tweets about that song. I, I just had tons <laughs> of fun playing it during games. It was it was fun, but like like everything, eventually certain things run their course uh, and no i don't play it as much as i used to even upon requests sometimes i tend not to throw it in you know i i i, I hope i don't hurt his feelings too much but uh but no we had some good fun with that song honestly yeah because i know that from his interactions on twitter by just tweeting at you saying japan droids that inspired me to look them up on youtube and google and i was like man these guys are really awesome and for oh, the last couple months, awesome. i'm on a real japan droids kick Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, th- I think their type of music is what they call celebration rock, you know, and and, and, and rightly so. It's, it is it is kind of rock music that I personally also associate to, you know, just like really getting into. Like, uh, I, I know whenever some of their songs came on the radio here, let's just say my foot may have gotten a little heavier on the gas. <laughs> well, it's so, hard not to, right? Absolutely. But, you know... Uh, that's also another point of what I like to do about this job is sometimes I play songs and people either tweet me or this day, it doesn't happen as often because of things like Shazam and apps like that. You know, people can find the music I play without even having to ask for it anymore. But I, I, I do know that, you know, uh, especially in the earlier days, way before those apps, I would get a lot of tweets from people saying, hey, what was that song? Hey, what was that song? Hey, what was that song? And, and just getting people to discover music. Uh, I, I find is always a, a lot of fun as well for me. And, you know, and these, the, I, I love especially, uh, you know, trying to throw in some local and some Canadian artists when I can. You know, the, the, the local band from here that's, you know, really probably one of the biggest bands coming out of the Ottawa area for quite some time, uh, Colorado, you know, and even performed live at the Sands uh, a few years ago. You know, like people would just tweet at me going, hey, what was that song? What was that song? And, you know, for me, I feel like, you know, I was part of helping them maybe make their name at the time, you know, and maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe I'm maybe I'm 
uh, tipping my head to myself a little too much. But you know, if a few people discovered you know a band that I I do enjoy because of the you know playing it at games, that makes it very happy for. It makes myself um, very happy about that. You know, and sometimes you know some local bands send send me stuff sometimes, and I play stuff and. You know, and I know how much they appreciate it. And, you know, that, I think that's also very important. Absolutely. And I can totally relate because with this podcast, we use Monster Trucks. Why are you not rocking as the intro? And Monster Truck was always a band. I was always into them. And to be able to use that song for the podcast has been really great every time I edit the show. No, another great Canadian band. Yeah. So Alex, man, we cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. Now, before we let you go, I was wondering if you can indulge us in a quick round of rapid fire. Sure. Let's go for it. Okay. So just for the people who don't know, rapid fire was a game on the Jandan podcast when they worked for Fox sports. However, since Jandan moved back to TSN and started doing the podcast again, they have abandoned the rapid fire segment. So I've decided to take it upon myself to take it and claim it as my own. So, that seems totally yeah. legit and fair. Absolutely. So let's get right into it, Alex. Absolutely. Best drinking establishment in Gatineau. Um, mm, Ginsburg in the Old Hall area. Okay. What is Micro- one thing mi- you, microbrewery? Yeah. What is one thing you would recommend to see or do in Gatineau if someone were to come to visit? Take a walk through the Gatineau Hills. Nice. Greatest senator not named Eric Carlson or Daniel Alfredson? For me, growing up, some of the best moments were especially that first time the Sens made the playoffs with Ron Tugnut up between the pipes. So for me, I have a very strong emotional uh, link to Ron Tugnut, but also yeah. a good friend of, uh, of our crew, uh, Patrick Aleem, who uh, is often doing RDS games. So I would say those two guys who were tandem back then, those are, for me, equally uh, one to my favorite senators uh, growing up uh, of all time. Same, man. I was always a big fan of Ron Tugnut as well myself. Oh, yeah. That that game where they won, uh, they made the playoffs for the first time, and he just jumped in uh, Wade Redden's arms. I, I will always remember that. Oh, that's a great moment. Amazing. Between Game 6 of the 2017 Easter Conference Finals and Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals 2007, which crowd was louder? Stanley Cup final. Really? Yeah, I, I I think it was just the energy was different at the time. I, I remember it that way, but it's it's hard to gauge, honestly. Those were two equally powerful moments. For me, maybe it was because it was the Stanley Cup final, you know, and, and that one for me had a lot more emotion and energy. But again, that other mo- the the other two moment was was a strong because, you know, no one expected it as well um, at the time, you know. So, again, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to gauge, but the Stanley Cup final for me was a very special moment in, in my career. And, and I remember it. I, I, I think I remember the crowd being just a lot more energetic, but I could be wrong. Okay. Yeah, because I think I have more of a memory of Game 6 than Game 3, and that's why I wanted to ask that question to you. Yeah. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's hard to, to judge, but the crowds in Ottawa, you know, always amazing always amazing you know you could equally say that there were certain just regular moments during that hamburglar run uh quite a few years ago where the crowd was probably the loudest you'd have ever heard it before either so it's hard to gauge but you know tons of great moments in sense sense history where the crowd was just completely bananas 
Okay. If you ever had to do a 100-meter race between either Dean Brown or Gord Wilson, who would you pick? Oh, that's that's very hard. I would probably do it against Gord. I think I could take him. You know, we're about the same height. Uh, Dean's a bit longer, taller, and has longer legs. So I think I could take uh, Gord uh, on the 100-meter race. No, I don't know Dean Brown personally, but he seems like the kind of guy that it you started passing him, he would try and tackle you. Uh, I would say that's a possibility, or he would try to tell you an anecdote or a story from a long time ago uh, about a similar race that he had. <laughs> if Brian Five or Six were to ever invade the DJ booth during a game, would you let him sing Hot Sam Bacho? Not only would I let him sing it, I would actually play the track myself. Which, for the record, I actually have played the Hot Sam Bacho track. <laughs> I know, because I remember those interactions. <laughs> like, oh my god, he's totally playing it. It's awesome. The best part is the oh, yeah. You get like, the Colorado bench when you did it, and they're just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. I find it's important to interact not only with, with the fans, but also with, with you know, our, our strong supporters in the Twitter sphere. And, you know, and, and Brian Fiber Six is probably one of the, you know, outside the persona, one of the nicest guys I've ever met, uh, you know, and, and he loves this team so much. For me, it was just hilarious to be able to play back that track for him. Mm-hmm. Because I remember when we got a chance to talk to Pan a few months ago and we asked him about Brian and he said the exact same thing. He says, you know, even though that's Brian's personality of being a real super fan at games, he's a real nice guy and kind of a quiet guy. And Absolutely. Remember, yeah. And I remember asking him, like, I guess because maybe people would think that that's just how Brian or I guess Ben Milks is in real life. Yeah, Ben. Honestly, no, it's such a nice, down to earth, quiet guy. You know, I, I think he just really... Like you said, he's a super fan. He loves this team. You know, he he wears his emotions on his on his sleeves. But you know, honestly, down to a great guy. And you know, if if uh, that small token from me brings a little bit of joy for him, you know, so be it. I'm happy to do it because you know I think it's important to to support the fans that uh, you know love this team so much. Awesome. So Alex, to close out rapid fire. I have to ask the all-important question that has divided Tim and I for a very long time, and that is burgers and fries forever. Overrated or best burger place in Ottawa? I will leave it divided because I have never been there. Okay, so we're 0 for 2 on that, Tim. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's fantastic. But, but a friend of mine has claimed it is the greatest place to have burgers and fries he's ever been to. I said I would try it one day. I have yet to go, uh, but I'm sure one day I'll be able to answer your question. But right now, I will have to leave it divided for you guys for another day. <laughs> yeah, because I remember when, uh, going back to the NHL 100 Classic, I, Tim recommended this place. He goes, man, you got to go to this place. It was on, it's on Bank Street, right, Tim? Yeah. There's one on Bank, and now there's one in the market. Okay. Oh, so there. I was the one at Bank. And he was telling me, man, you got to go. There's the best burger in Ottawa. And I ate the burger. I laughed and I messaged him like, it was all right. And he <laughs> just went nuts on me. I was like, what do you mean you didn't think it's the best burger in Ottawa? I was like, it was all right. That's like Five Guys. A lot of people tell me it's the greatest burger they've ever had. And I'm like, eh, it's fine. Five Guys is a chain, though. Yeah, it, it is a chain. But again, for me, it's not my favorite either. <laughs> <laughs> 
Fair so enough. Alex, once again, we cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast this evening. Now, before we let you go, how can people find you on Twitter? Uh, so my Twitter handle uh, is actually uh, at SendsDJ. Uh, if you want to, uh, to get in touch with me uh, for any kind of Sends-related uh, and music-related things, uh, I do have a personal account, but again, it's, you can just reach me at, at SendsDJ, and, and, that's, uh, and that's where I can you know, always gladly respond to most people when they have questions or comments or even recommendations for uh, for music that's played at the Sends. I'm happy to interact. I'm happy to take you know comments, questions, even concerns if people have any. And, you know, just let me know. I'm, I'm very open and very uh, happy to talk to people. Awesome. Now, it's almost become a tradition on the show when we get a chance to talk to somebody. And we mentioned him early on. Can we get a quick hot sambacho from you? Just just, just, just say hot sambacho? Just say it, buddy. Say or yell it. Hot sambacho! Awesome. Thanks so much, Alex. Hey, absolutely, guys. Thank you very much for having me on the show. If ever there's anything, feel free to reach out. Awesome, man. We'll definitely have to do that. All right. Thank you. All right. Have a good night, buddy. That was awesome. That was awesome getting a chance to talk to Alex, Tim. This was really (laughs) worth it. And I feel like I got a much better appreciation for what goes on behind the booth. Oh, absolutely, man. And I know definitely for myself, being a big music fan, that was really great getting to talk to him about set lists and everything he does for games and japan droids and japan droids well i guess with that all the way tim i guess it's time for head for us to head into the close eh bud yep for another night yep first of all guys thank you so much to listening to the third line plug sensecast i hope you've enjoyed it because believe me tim and i love recording them for you you can find us on itunes please listen rate and subscribe we're on soundcloud soundcloud.com slash third line plug sensecast and because our bod dave made the mention we're on google play music you can find us on Twitter at ThirdLinePlug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M91HoneyBadger, and I'm at GreatWhiteGipster, G-R-8-W-I-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about our interview this evening with Alex Marchand, shoot us an email, ThirdLinePlugSenseCast at gmail.com. Until next time, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys. Woo! My time here is up. They're going home!